Well, I agree. I think we should abolish the holiday of Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> Howdy! You're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zulkowski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom. The history of Texas is littered with great rivalries. The Spanish versus the French, Texas Rangers versus the Comanche, Santa Ana versus basically everyone, But today, as we approach the American holiday of Thanksgiving, we're going to talk about what is perhaps the greatest rivalry in the history of the world, the University of Texas Longhorns versus the Aggies of Texas A&M. But first, what's your favorite Texas holiday song? I'm kind of partial to um, Robert Earl Keene's Merry Christmas from the family. Oh, that's a good one. Um, I like Willie Nelson's Pretty Paper, one of the very most beautiful holiday songs ever. It's a great song. And I love George Strait's Christmas Time in Texas. <laughs> now, before we dive into this very important topic, I just want to put a little disclaimer in saying that none of the three of us actually attended either the University of Texas or Texas A&M. So we're not Longhorns or Aggies, but uh, we've grown up in Texas our entire lives and whole point of this is that this rivalry extends much further than the schools themselves. So keep in mind, we didn't actually go there. So if we make mistakes on specifics of some of these traditions, we mean no harm. We are more or less impartial. We just want to talk about this rivalry. And this may well be the most important historical discussion we've (laughs) ever had on this show. Well, if you grew up in Texas or you've lived here for any length of time, or you're some of my in-laws, you know about the UT A&M rivalry. And whether or not you attended either school, it's an issue as potentially divisive as religion or politics, with people tending to identify with one side or the other. Given the roots of both institutions in the early days of the Lone Star State, it's no wonder that their rivalry has permeated the state's culture and colored so much of its interpersonal relationships. To understand this divide, let's go back to the beginnings of higher education in Texas. While Mexico had made a provision for a public university in the 1827 Constitution for the state of Coahuila y Tejas, they never actually acted upon it. Uh, The first tangible attempt to establish higher education in the state was part of the Constitution of the Republic of Texas in 1839. That's when the Texan Congress agreed to set aside land toward the effort, including 40 acres in the new capital city of Austin that they called College Hill. Once Texas joined the United States in 1845, a further $100,000 in U.S. Treasury bonds was purchased to construct the university. Of course, the involvement of Texas in the Confederacy and the Civil War kind of put a break on those plans. Before the University of Texas could be formally established, however, the Morrill Act of 1862 which would auction public land grants for the creation of universities, led to the creation of the Agricultural and Mechanical College of Texas in 1867. Now known as Texas A&M University, this was the first public institution of higher education in Texas. The chosen site was over 2,000 acres donated by Brazos County near Bryan, Texas. Classes officially began on October 4, 1876, with around six students and six faculty members. Admission was limited to white males, and all students were required to participate in the Corps of Cadets. 
Yeah, there are some accounts that there were as many as 40 people attending at first, but the point is it was a very small school to begin with. Right, and it was focused on military. Yeah, yeah, it was a big part of it was the military training. Meanwhile, the Texas Constitution of 1876 required the state to establish a, quote, university of the first class as soon as possible. Evidently, Texas Ag and Mac did not satisfy this mandate. In 1881, Austin was chosen as the site for the University of Texas, and Galveston was chosen for the medical school. Construction began on the original College Hill, and the university finally opened its doors on September 15, 1883, shortly after construction began on I-35, right through the middle of it. No, that's not <laughs> Both schools, of course, have continued to thrive, and now are the epicenters of their own extensive university systems. How did the rivalry begin? We'll talk about the official beginning of the rivalry, but I kind of have the suspicion that it really started when there was an attempt to shut down the Texas AMC in the late 1880s. Uh, Many residents saw no need for two colleges in the state, since the University of Texas was the official flagship university mandated by the Constitution, uh, A&M was on the chopping block. The school and corps were saved when former Texas Ranger and Governor Sol Ross took over as president of the university in 1891. Uh, He made a lot of improvements to the school, and enrollment doubled as parents sent their boys to, quote, learn to be like Ross. Um, Sol Ross is another legendary figure in Texas history, and we hope to talk more about him later. But the point is, is he was a renowned Confederate general. He'd fought Indians. He, He was a scout with mm-hmm. the Texas Rangers, he was a really famous, important guy. And the fact that he was leading the school encouraged a lot of people to send their kids there. And today he's a major central part of A&M's legacy and lore. And there's a big statue of him on yeah. the campus. Officially, the century-long rivalry started with the first game between the University of Texas and Aggie football teams on October 19, 1894. UT had only established a permanent team one year prior, and it was A&M's first year. UT won 38-0 and would dominate the contest into the early 1900s and continue their overall lead for the length of their 118-year rivalry. The final record shows UT on top with 76 wins, 37 losses, and 5 ties. UT dominated for probably the first half of that entire rivalry. It wasn't until the 1920s or so that A&M really started to win a significant number of these games. In the early days of college football, it was a big free-for-all. Everybody sort of played each other. They generally tried to stick around each other because transportation issues. But for the most part, there was a national championship system, but there wasn't what we would call conferences today. In 1914, the Southwest Conference was formed, and A&M and Texas were uh, keystone parts of that conference. They were founding members of that conference, which lasted until the 1980s. And we've talked in the past in our mini-episode about the SMU scandal Mm -hmm. uh, that essentially destroyed the SMU football program and broke up the Southwest Conference. And then that was in the 1980s. In the 1990s, A&M and Texas were part of the Big 12, which they merged with another uh, conference to form the Big 12, and Oklahoma, Nebraska, several other schools were part of this at various times. Yeah. So the the real meat of the UT-Texas A&M rivalry was their annual football contest, which started out being at various times, but quickly uh, centered on Thanksgiving Day or the day after. That's at the end of the college football season, towards the end. And for many years, that was the de facto 
Southwest Conference Championship game for in a lot of ways because generally speaking, for a long time UT was mostly the champion, the winner of the Southwest Conference football title. Uh, but several years A and M did win it as well. Prominent in this great Texan rivalry are the mascots of both schools, and I think the mascots are something that we can all get behind. UT's original mascot was not, in fact, a Longhorn, but a pit bull dog named Pig. It was a dog named Pig. <laughs> he had the run of the campus from 1914 to 1923. But in 1916, a UT alumnus had the idea to bring in a Texas Longhorn as the official mascot. Stephen Pinckney collected money from other alumni and purchased a steer that they named Bo and introduced him to the world at halftime on Thanksgiving Day in 1916. The Longhorns beat the Aggies that day 21-7. After the game, the editor of the campus magazine referred to the steer as Bevo. Well, why? Nobody really knows. Although one theory stands out and is ingrained in the history of this rivalry. Well, we say theory, but really it's just a really great story that builds up the tradition of these schools. College football is full of apocryphal stories. Yes, that's what makes it fun. As the story goes, following their loss to the Longhorns in 1916, a group of Aggies kidnapped the mascot and branded him with 13-0, the score of the previous year's game when A&M had won. In retaliation, so the story goes, students from UT were said to have changed the brand to read Bevo, B-E-V-O, forming the name out of the numbers. I guess they just stuck a V in there for some reason. While this serves as a good story to tell and build up your school, the truth is that the 13-0 brand was still intact four years later, when the original Bevo was barbecued and served up as dinner at a banquet attended by both schools in an attempt to bring them together in fellowship. Um, it's also said that the portion of that original Bevo's hide that carried the brand was gifted to Texas A&M and was on display in one of their buildings, but um, there's not really any hard evidence of that. It's not on display now, and I think that's probably just another story that people yeah. have told. If it really existed, they would display it. In fact, there's some alumni of A&M right now that uh, have tried to start a new tradition of branding a hide with the score 13-0 and auctioning that off as, for a scholarship. While the Texas A&M students and, al and alumni are nicknamed Aggies, this has nothing to do with their mascot. Since 1931, A&M has had Reveille. The original Reveille was a mixed-breed dog, a mutt, brought home by a group of fighting Texas Aggie band members who had hit it on their way home from a party in nearby Navasota. Even though pets were not allowed, they kept her in the dorm room overnight with the intention of taking her to the veterinary school the next day. When the bugler played Reveille first thing in the morning, the dog began barking and thus got her name. She became the official mascot when she led the band into Kyle Field at halftime that football season, and a long line of Reveilles has continued the tradition ever since. Since the original uh, Reveille, there's been, a few, there's been a couple of breeds that they've tried, but the since the 1930s, Reveille has always been a pure breed collie. Currently, she carries the rank of Cadet General of the Corps, which makes her the highest ranking officers. Yeah. In fact, that rank technically doesn't exist. Yeah. So their collar pips that they use, their diamonds, she gets five diamonds, mm -hmm. whereas the highest rank really is three. So they take a two and a three and they stick it together. Right. She has a little, little coat that she wears outside uh, on her body and it has the five stars or five pips. I've actually seen her. There is a, there's a whole set of re traditions surrounding Reveille. There's a unit of the core 
that is dedicated only to being her handlers. Yep. And uh, you have to salute her when you see her. If she barks, it, this is, I, I've, I've heard that this actually is true. My brother-in-law went to A&M and he started, this actually happened. Everybody has a story. This actually happened. But tradition is if she barks in class, because she goes to the class with her handlers, if she barks, they have to really, they have to let class out. <laughs> also, freshmen, uh, first year class core members are supposed to call her Miss Revely, ma'am. But if she barks at them uh, or does something else, then quote unquote drops handles and you, you don't have to call her Miss Revely, ma'am anymore. There's a lot of traditions about yeah. her. And when we get around to doing our episode on Texas A&M and their traditions, we'll go, probably go into more right. depth on some of those. Also, when, she die, when they die, they're buried in Kyle Field, which is the football stadium. Reveille is also the only Texas mascot that has never been stolen until 2003 when a group of UT students kidnapped her out of her handler's yard in Dallas. When A&M threatened to file felony charges, an anonymous tip led them to a signpost near Lake Travis in central Texas where they found her unharmed. Yeah, there's actually a article from the Daily Texan, the UT newspaper, that kind of tells that whole story. We'll link to that in the show notes. The rivalry between the schools also extends to their fight songs. The official UT fight song, Texas Fight, begins with the lyrics, Texas Fight, Texas Fight, and it's goodbye to A&M. It's sung to the sped-up tune of Taps, traditionally played at military funerals, and is also the tune used by the Aggies in one of their songs, Farmer's Fight. Texas Fight was written in direct response to a plethora of Aggie songs and yells, which most people call cheers, many of which ridiculed the Longhorns and their alma mater, the Eyes of Texas. Um, The Texas Fight song was literally written as a response to all of these jabs that the Longhorns were getting. And a student was like, you know, I'm tired of this. I'm going to do something in direct retaliation to this. It's interesting, the tradition around the music and the bands. And if you go to either one of these games and you see them, you know, UT has a amazing modern band they do lots of formations a huge band it's a lot of pomp and circumstance there's a lot of pride when the songs are sung and they they have their hats they wear cowboy hats and they have their traditional cheerleader core and it kind of looks like a scaled up version of what you see at a a high school football game Mm -hmm. but when you go to the a&m game uh the band marches in a strict military fashion they do a lot of interesting stuff but it's totally not like what you see most bands doing uh, on top of that, they have the yell leaders who do that, and and it's a, there's a whole crazy tradition that you just have to sort of experience in person to get what the yell leaders are. So it's an it's an interesting twist on on just the difference between the oil and water of A and M in Texas and mm-hmm. how they embrace these traditions. Right, and the and the Scott said A and M has all these fight songs uh, about the University of Texas, and the most famous one is the Aggie War Hymn which was originally entirely about the University of Texas, or as Aggies call it, Texas University, TU, uh, and they call them tea sippers. Uh, UT students are tea sippers and fans. This was written by J.V. Pinky Wilson in 1918 when he was holed up in a trench during World War I. He combined several existing Aggie yells into a song called Goodbye to Texas University. Uh, when he got home, he entered the song into a contest to choose a new fight song for the school, and it won. Today, that original song is sung as the second verse, after a new ver- first verse was added in 1928. Uh, it seems they thought the original was too focused on their longtime rivals, 
Yeah. So, you know, the entire fight song, there, there's so much focused yeah. on the rivalry with uh, UT that at some point someone's like, you know what? We do play other schools. And, um, maybe we'll tone that back a little but bit. But if, if you hear the chorus, the main chorus of the song, you can understand why that it was written by someone sitting in a trench being shelled by Germans because yeah. it goes saw Varsity's horns off and Varsity is what they call Bevo, the the, yeah. the the longhorn. Yeah, and there's there's the motion that they do, that the Aggies do um, at the end of the song where they all link arms in the stands and they like sway back blade. and forth like a big saw blade yeah. to saw the horns off. Right. So it's a little disturbing to think about mutilating. It shakes the bleachers at Kyle Field. Both schools have a singular, prominent tradition centered on their rivalry, the Aggie Bonfire and the UT Hex Rally. And the first on-campus Aggie bonfire was really just a garbage fire built from trash and debris and was meant to generate excitement for a variety of sporting events. It wasn't until a decade later that the focus of the fire was narrowed to the annual Thanksgiving Day game against UT. The 1947 Corps handbook stated that the bonfire represented two things, quote, a burning desire to beat the team from the University of Texas and the undying flame of love that every loyal Aggie carries in his heart for the school. This is often shortened to merely just saying, quote, the burning desire to beat the hell out of TU. So there's not as much information about the UT Hex rally uh, as the bonfire. It's not as quite as big a deal uh, as, it, as the bonfire was. But it was essentially a very large pep rally, really focused on sticking it to A&M and winning that. Yeah, it's like they were, it was UT's attempted response uh, again, to correspond to the Aggie bonfire. They wanted to have the same sort of tradition. Apparently, a lot of people didn't show up. There wasn't as much interest. They were going to have a big bonfire. They didn't have enough lumber. So they kind of ended up just burning candles. Mm -hmm. But uh, it's they have a big pep rally before they cast a hex on A&M so that they win the game. Yeah. The A&M bonfire was originally just a pile of debris. Uh, You know, your regular big bonfire. You just pile a bunch of pile up a bunch of wood, light it on fire. But that changed in 1942. There was a World War II propaganda film that was filmed on campus. Universal Studios constructed a teepee-like bonfire that had a lot more strength and allowed them to build the fire higher. It went from being a big pile of wood, about 25 feet high, to a more teepee-like structure that was 50 feet high. It allowed it to burn longer, and it was much larger. Um, and they continued with this design for decades until the 1970s, the late 1970s. They switched to a wedding cake type design of... It's tiered. Yeah, tiers. It starts big at the bottom, then there's a smaller tier on top, then a smaller tier on top with of the that. Central pl- Essentially, it transformed from being a pile to building a, a, a rigid fixed structure of, of a, like a building, a large yeah. wooden building. Yeah, and it reached a point where they were building it as high as over 100 feet. And then someone decided, you know, that's a bit crazy. And the school <laughs> imposed a limit of about 50 feet on it. But for, it's, it's got a, it also, you have a giant center pole. Yeah, center pole. Yeah, there's a lot of details on how it's constructed. It was very well thought out. The singular feature for many years uh, was at the very top of the bonfire was a orange and white outhouse that was named the TU Frat House. And they would scrawl epithets and other anti-Texas University things on it. Um, That's part of their traditions. They put that outhouse on top and they light it. And if it burned past midnight, it meant that A&M was going to win the game. 
Right. And that always didn't happen. But no. And in fact, uh, in the later years, the bonfire structure meant that it would burn and collapse much more quickly. It went from burning for hours to collapsing in about 20 or 30 minutes. The bonfire tradition continued until 1999, when the tragic collapse of the stack killed 12 people and injured 27. In a rare showing of unity between the schools, the Texas Longhorn Band played Amazing Grace and Taps in a show of respect and removed their hats as they marched off the field. The A&M students, who normally only sat while the opposing team's band played, stood for both performances. The Aggies won the game, while the bonfire has never returned to the A&M campus, an off-site student bonfire continues this tradition. And in addition, uh, in the last couple of years, they also have built a very, very beautiful memorial to those uh, 12 Aggies that were killed uh, at the bonfire, at the, this disaster of the bonfire. And it's a circular, it's where the bonfire was being built. There's a, there's a cement circle in the center. There's columns all around it in a circle pointing towards the direction of these students' homes. So the rivalry started as a football competition, and then as the universities grew, it spread to their athletics in general, and then it was just basically the two largest, oldest public universities in the state became polarizing opposites. They're like the Hatfields and the McCoys. They're like the Dallas and the Fort Worth. They're like the Texas City and Lamarck. It is (laughs) two things... You know, that it's like oil and water. We mentioned that before. It's like oil and water. It's like you are, you either bleed orange or you bleed maroon. Um, there's not traditionally a lot of middle ground. And we grew up with this stuff. And for those of you out there that went to TCU or maybe Baylor or Texas Tech, what we're really saying is your school is not important. <laughs> no, that's not what we're <laughs> Wait, saying at is all. that not what we're saying? No. Oh, sorry. No. Sorry. Well, the, the interesting thing is about the bonfire and about the rivalry is there's two times when... A&M and Texas came together, uh, and it took tragedies to do this. And the, the, the one we talked about, which is the 99 bonfire collapse, and that tragedy, it was very touching. I remember when that happened and seeing that the players at, at UT came out wearing black armbands. Another time, though, was 1963, because okay. if we remember, right before Thanksgiving 1963, what happened in Dallas? President Kennedy was shot. That was the only time before... 1999 that the bonfire hadn't been lit uh and that was they they didn't light it in honor of the of the deceased president yeah but you know getting back to the the overall cultural impact of this rivalry um i don't know how it happened but maybe since the origins of a&m is agricultural um a&m has always been kind of considered the rural backcountry people right it's like that's where the aggie jokes come from i grew up there was a radio station, Houston, the country radio station. I don't remember if it was Kick or one of those. Anyway, every morning on their morning show, they had their funny Jim Bob country guy that would tell his Aggie joke of the day. And I remember that was one of the highlights of the morning is, you know, my dad's clock radio would go off and we'd be listening to country music station and they'd tell the Aggie joke of the day. So... Full disclosure, I guess you could say I grew up in a UT household. My mom went to UT. Um, I was never a huge football fan, but most of my life as a child, I was a UT person. I identified with the orange side of things. Well, my household was pretty pretty pro-UT, pretty orange, but I have an aunt and uncle who are super pro A&M. 
And, you know, I have friends who went to both places. You know, the the thing about that cultural divide and that rivalry is that, you know, there's Coke and Pepsi. Which do you like, Coke? Do you like Pepsi? And, well, yeah, and UT dominated for so many years. But A&M was capable. What made the rivalry so great was A&M was capable of being a spoiler in a lot of years. In a lot of years where UT was the dominant football team in the state or even in the country, then A&M would come in and would win the game. But even outside of the football arena, mm-hmm. like when we're really talking about is we're talking about two of the largest state institutions mm-hmm. with a long and very distinct and proud history. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about both schools in different aspects as we over the course of doing this show. Today, though, these institutions are even larger. So you look at uh, a lot of smaller Texas universities have been acquired and are now part of the University of Texas and the Texas A&M system. Right. So where there was once CCSU and Corpus Christi, that's now Texas A&M Corpus Christi. Right. There was Texas A&I down in Kingsville. That's now Texas A&M King- yeah, Prairie Kingsville. Prairie College is now Prairie View A&M. These universities perform lots of research. They have great schools. They produce a variety of technical and liberal arts graduates that are that are working throughout the state. And you can't throw a rock without hitting somebody that went to one or the other. But but still at the heart is that football rivalry. And what we're talking while we're talking about this, and one of the things we wanted to talk about is that this out rivalry is no more from a football perspective. In 2012, because of a lot of reasons, most of them related to the the monetization and corporatization of college football related to television contracts, money. Texas A&M University chose to leave the Big 12 Conference to go to the Southeast Conference, where Alabama and Auburn and Louisiana State University, several other other schools. None of them being the University of Texas. None of them being the University of Texas. And if you ask somebody what is... It's an interesting perspective because for years this was the highlight of the year. This was the big game. This was the focus of, you know, people would say, we think of, and for those not in Texas, and maybe not even those in America, Thanksgiving represents a very special holiday to Americans. It's a time when a lot of family gets together, you don't see, uh, you get to have a big meal, you sit down, and there's lots of football. But the Texas A&M-Texas game was always the big highlight of Thanksgiving. And so that's something that has now sort of expired and gone away. Yeah. I mean, and speaking of that tradition of watching UT and A&M play on Thanksgiving, um, I put a post out on Facebook trying to get some feedback on what people think of the whole Texas and uh, UT and A&M rivalry. And uh, one of the comments is um, a friend of mine from high school. She she went to A&M. Her mom went to UT. And she says they would, at Thanksgiving, they would sit in separate rooms and watch the game on separate TVs and yell back and forth to each other um, as the game went on, talking lots of trash. And, they, and that's a big part of it is, yes, it's a rivalry, Texas A&M versus UT, but it's, for the most part, it's a friendly rivalry when you get to the root of it. And pe- we like people like to trash talk. And that that's a huge, big part of it. Well, you know, as kids, you watch profession when we watch professional wrestling growing up you know you would see the big macho wrestlers get in there and they would talk trash and they would fight each other but it's like at the end of the day there's still respect for each other yeah, yeah. and um there's something about it i mean we 
we try not to diminish other rivalries. There are other rivalries out there, but this is the big one for us. And one thing about these rivalries is you want to stick it to the other guy, right? In small and big ways. Like one of the ways is our friend, friend of the show, Laura, said that uh, her Aggie aunt used to give Aggie clothes to her and her sister, which thrilled Laura's mother, who was a Longhorn. <laughs> so that is one of those small ways that, you know, you when you're shopping for clothes for your friend's newborn and you know they went to UT, you're like, oh, get them an Aggie onesie. They'll love that. Yeah, my wife's entire family, her mom and her dad, went to A&M. Uh, uncles and aunts went there. She said that her grandmother would not allow burn orange uh, <laughs> anything, basically. Yeah, well, and my wife is has an aversion to orange. She is an Aggie. I am an Aggie by marriage. Um, but she still doesn't like that burnt orange color. Yeah. And yeah. Well, and so, you know, since the rivalry is gone, it, it, I think it does create a hole in Texas culture that there's these two great football teams, these great programs with this 114 year history or 118 year history. Well, I agree. I think we should abolish the holiday of Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> because I think that what's the point to yeah. it if you can't if, if, so, if UT and A&M yeah. are not going to play then why have a why are we well, having this turkey? our beloved There's Jerry no Jones of Dallas uh, owner of the Dallas Cowboys has offered apparently the uh, the AT&T Stadium in Arlington for the resumption of this Thanksgiving tradition out of purely the goodness of his heart and no also, no financial gain for him and I believe Scott you said that there is a actually a bill that yes, was introduced. Yes, in, in researching this topic, um, I discovered I hadn't. I don't remember reading this. I didn't remember hearing about this. But apparently, there was an attempt in Texas Congress to pass a law that would force the University of Texas and A and M to play each other. Yeah, well, even even though they they're state schools, they're playing in different conferences, and there's all those financial agreements and stuff. <laughs> that apparently, someone cares enough to try yeah. and pass a law that would force them. To I play support each other. that. I, I do. The real tragedy is the children. <laughs> Think of the children yeah. who never grew up seeing families ripped apart. <laughs> yes. You know, it's just like, it's like we're just a few weeks to Christmas. We're all getting together, going to have a big turkey dinner. And you just don't get to see a family ripped apart at the seams between the, the orange and maroon rivalries at the table. Yeah. Do not wear that maroon in my house. <laughs> How dare you wear that shirt in my house on yeah. this day? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there are people that will not speak to each other because of an offense. Yeah, that. And I will say, in my and like I said, my in-laws are Aggies, I, I, but I feel like I can comfortably say this. For a long time, uh, I would say the there's a lot of ways where the Aggies took this way more seriously than Longhorn people did. Yeah, the Longhorns well, take it plenty seriously, they, too. They take it plenty seriously, okay. but... As a demonstration of how serious um, Aggies take things, um, this just got this comment a few minutes ago. Our friend from college, Celeste, just posted this uh, to Facebook. Uh, she said, My dad was Aggie class of 46, my siblings class of 72, 76, 84, and 86, and numerous in-laws and nieces and nephews all went to A&M as well. Uh, they're raised, she was raised by the class of 46, and it was and is for Aggies more than a football rivalry. It was a sense of character rivalry. A Captain America versus, I don't know, Doonesbury? So, <laughs> yeah, they, you know. Oh, I get that, yeah. There, there's, a very, there's a very strong cultural divide mm -hmm. that still is an undercurrent. The thing we talked about divided. Let me go back to that comment for a second and say this. 
it's not that it rips families apart forever. It's really the fact that you get together and the family is ripped apart for a couple of days while you get to gloat and strut. Right. And then you come back. On on a day to give thanks. On a day to give thanks, you get to give thanks that your team kicked the hell out of the other person's team. But, you know, you come back the next year, tail between your legs, we're still strutting a little bit. (laughs) But it's just, it's one of those things that you just, it it becomes a bit of the fabric of what what those sort of holidays and things meant. And there's always that you come back four weeks later at Christmas and you can kind of stick them in the ribs with a, oh, your team did this, your, my team did that. And so the relative that went to University of Houston or at Baylor just does the dishes while the game's on. <laughs> exactly. It's like, my team's not really playing this yeah, week. We, played, we play on Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> In the end, American football defines Texas in a lot of ways. You know, the Friday Night Lights, the high school thing, you have college football. But at the very core of it, if you ask most longtime Texans, or even some of the new people, the A&M-UT rivalry goes right to the top of the list as being probably one of the most Texas rivalries that exists today. And it's also the third longest running rivalry in the country. Because both schools are so old. Yeah. And I think it's a, like I said, I think it's a big hole from Texas culture that's missing. Um, And I think in the end, with everything being about money, if the, if it's the right dollar amount, it will, it will happen again. I don't think this is something that's gone away for good. I just think right now the the conditions don't benefit it, but well, some point they may. But aside from the football, the cultural rivalry, yes. I think, will continue for a long time. The legacy right. of that rivalry uh, will continue to be felt. So, kids, write your congressman and get that <laughs> football game back on. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstable.com. We'd love to hear from you, so like and share us on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or go to brainstable.com and leave us some feedback. You can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. You can follow us individually, too. I'm on Twitter, at Mr. Java. I'm Max Sean with two N's. And I'm Scotticus. If you like the show, tell your friends and please leave a review on iTunes. That really helps us out. We hope you'll join us next time. And remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway. Go Comets! <laughs>